And it's Thursday, January 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool, Supernova, and Rule Breakers and MDP. You're on all the teams. Simon Erickson, he's just doing all the work. Very difficult for the business card. <laughs> yeah, those don't all fit on the business card. <laughs> like I said, it's tough. Exactly. Um, we got a bunch of things we're going to talk about. Here's what we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about China, uh, because that's certainly very much in the news. We are absolutely going to be talking about China on the Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend, so please check that out. But let's start with Constellation Brands, which is the parent company. It's a it's a beverage company, but not a beverage company in the way that Coca Cola and Pepsi are beverage companies. Um, they've got a wine portfolio of more than fifty brands: Robert Mondavi, Ravenswood, Rafino, uh, beer portfolio mainly with Corona and Modelo. And they've got a few spirit brands as well. Stock up this morning, hitting an all-time high. Third quarter profits much higher than expected, and they raised guidance for the full fiscal year. That is the one-two punch we love to see. Take advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> Craft beer is hot in the United States right now, and Constellation Brands is going after it. Sales were up 8% and operating profit up 20%. Obviously, the street loves to see a company report those kinds of numbers. The takeaway for me, though, Chris, was back to this craft beer. Uh, Constellation produces over a billion dollars of cash flow every year. And they're putting it to work to go after this opportunity. Uh, we saw back in November the acquisition of Ballast Point, a, a California, San Diego-based brewery, a craft beer mostly. And then they've also just announced uh, this month that they're going to be putting a new brewery in place in Mexico, $1.5 billion capital outlay, largely to appeal to the California population. So they see the opportunity, they're going after it. Did you say their operating margins were 20%? Uh, operating profit was operating up twenty percent. Correct, up twenty percent. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little surprising just on the surface of it when you look at at how beer is driving this business. Just because, as I mentioned at the outset, just from uh, the standpoint of how many brands they're operating, uh, the wine portfolio is enormous relative to the beer one. Not just in terms of the number of brands that they have, but the number of countries that they're operating in. I mean, you go to their website; they've even got just, you. You get through all their brands, and then they've they've got a tab that basically just says other Australian brands, other you know, insert name of country there. But it it really is the beer that's getting it done. It is, and you know, demand is is really more than they can even keep up with right now. They've got a supply agreement with with Anheuser Busch and Bev that's going to run through 2017, where InBev is still producing 20% of the U.S. beer volume. So, this is what you love to see for a brewer. It's, it's kind of interesting to sh- see the shift of the population really kind of favoring craft beer. I know I'm a fan of craft beer, too, um, and it's definitely catching on for a company like this. Do you think the fact that the market is down about 4% in the first week of 2016 means good things for the current quarter? You think people are just going to start? Just like, How can you go wrong? You're celebrating or you're you're drinking when you're in a in a bad exactly. Mood, so. we're, we're not going to celebrate, but now is the time to start drinking because we're looking we're looking at all the red out there. Couldn't hurt. We uh, yesterday afternoon we had an open house for prospective interns for this summer. We had I think somewhere north of of thirty or so college students who were here interested in being interns at the Motley Fool in our. Investing group, editorial, international, software development. And I was not there for the program. 
I came in at the very end. Frankly, I came in when it was time for you know snacks, the free food. When it, okay, <laughs> it was like, oh, there are going to be snacks and and you know drinks and that kind of thing. Um, and and our recruiters assured me that because it was college students, it was going to be water for the drinks, which is fine. I'm, I'm you know no constellation brands, no constellation brands, but always trying to hydrate more, so that's good. But uh, boy, you were very popular. Uh, you and and Abby Mallon and a couple of other people on the investing team were very popular with the the students who were looking to just learn about more and in investing uh, internships. But when you and I were talking this morning, it sounds like um, you weren't just sharing your knowledge and, and experience. It sounds like you, you picked up a little something from them as well. Well, I, I love talking to different demographics than I normally get to talk to. And so, I, I don't, on a daily basis, really get a chance to talk full with a room full of collegiate you know students from all across the country. So, I really wanted to ask a lot of their opinions on things. And uh, Chris, I was not expecting um, the big story or the big company that all of them were talking about to be Snapchat. Yeah. It I, seems I, that, <laughs> that everyone was talking about Snapchat. Of course, this is a social media company. Um, most of it is video or pictures you can send between friends. Um, we haven't really had this on our radar at The Motley Fool. It's a private company, a huge valuation, almost $10 billion valuation, and really isn't making any money yet. But the lowest number I, I asked the inter, or I asked the uh, potential interns what the low, what the number I'm sorry let me start that over the percentage of their class what percentage of the class was using Snapchat and the lowest number I heard was more than 50 percent some people wow. were saying hundred percent or 95 percent and it, it mandates that we pay attention to this this is the same thing that Mark Zuckerberg was saying in the early years of Facebook when he was saying I have no intentions of monetizing this this company. I want to get the platform right, I want to get the people on this platform, and I want to get the product right. And it's almost like you're seeing that second wave play out with Snapchat today. It's interesting, because you're right, it's a private company. I think the the one time we discussed Snapchat was when Facebook made them an offer, and they turned it down, and it was a sizable I mean, it it definitely had nine zeros. I, I remember right. that. I don't remember how many billion they were offered, but they turned it down, and it's it's Definitely going to be a company to watch because when you think about what happened with the IPO market at the end of 2015, it really, I don't want to say it dried up because it didn't dry up, but I would say the last four months of 2015, there were definitely fewer companies going public. Some of that was attributed to the volatility that we saw at the end of the summer. But some of that was attributed to sanity. <laughs> just, right. com- just companies saying, you know what? We're not ready to be public. We don't have to go public right now, so therefore we're not going to. And so coming into 2016, it seems like, I don't know, it's, I, you know, in a weird way, unlike past years where you come into the new year and you know the IPO to watch this calendar year is going to be. Facebook, it's going to be Twitter, it's going to be Alibaba. Right now, I think the private company that is most on people's radar is Uber, yes. because of the private market valuation somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 billion. But I don't hear any noise about Uber's absolutely going to go public this year. So, in a weird way, Uber is out there, but but there really isn't a, this is the IPO to watch in 2016. Uh, but I think because some of these private companies held off, and you've got VCs who are 
looking for a return on their money, we're going to see some companies going public this year that are absolutely not prepared to do that. I'm curious to see where Snapchat fits into all this. Because, to go back to what you were saying about the usage, I see this with my oldest daughter, who is a junior in high school. She, you know, she's on Instagram, but she uses she and her friends use Snapchat so much more than Instagram. It'll be really interesting to see in what way they are able to monetize it, or when they decide to flip that switch. And it builds on itself, too, Chris. I mean, you remember Facebook was was started out as a collegiate network, where you could just keep up with your friends in your school up in the Harvard and the Northeast area. And then it expanded, and all of a sudden, college students all across the country, and then everybody's grandma was on Facebook. You know, Snapchat's the same kind of idea. You've already got 100 million active users on this thing. Companies worth $12 billion. Do you use Snapchat? No. I don't either. No. But we're, we're finding out about this now, but it's already a movement is in place. Um, again, some of the, the potential entrants we were talking to, I was talking to yesterday was, was telling me about they're starting to add features on there, and that definitely piqued my interest. Uh, l- let's stick with the technology theme, because I know you are always interested in technology trends. Uh, David Kretzman, Matt Argusinger, Eric Bleeker, a bunch of our colleagues are out at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas this week. David's going to be on next week to share what he sort of what he saw, what his takeaway as an investor was. Um, but one of the things that he had talked about a week or so ago when, that he was looking forward to was virtual reality. And the Oculus Rift is now on sale. Do I have that right? The Oculus Rift headgear device? Absolutely. That Facebook bought. Uh, it is owned by Facebook. Oculus Rift, the the commercial version. We've been, we've been developing with this thing for years, but they are now offering it. Pre-order started yesterday. Uh, the, for the cool price of? $600. I don't think I'm paying that money right now. Now, it's going to include, Chris, the, not only the headset, but a microphone, a sensor, and an Xbox One controller. If I owned an Xbox One, that would that would sweeten the deal for me. But uh, but I, I I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. I mean, we've talked about this before. Gaming is the the first natural touch point for this device. Absolutely, and you know it, the interesting thing is that virtual reality has kind of been talked about for almost decades now. So why is it now that's the time for this? And and the reason is because latency was always the problem. You didn't want to walk around and it didn't feel right. The latency was was screwing things up. There was pixels. You didn't know where you are. It didn't feel real. But with cloud computing and the power behind this now, it is. It's becoming so realistic that people really can't tell the difference sometimes. And I think that now is the time for Facebook to make the move. A lot of critics of Mark Zuckerberg's that didn't like the the $2 billion price tag for Oculus have shut up now, because I think that virtual reality is going to be a really big deal this year and the, and the years following, too. Is that what they paid? $2 billion? Uh, for the acquisition. That is, that is going to be a drop in the bucket. And to me, you know, I've been thinking about this. And obviously, Facebook's going to have a real benefit having the platform and the development off of that. But I think that the hidden winner that we're not talking about yet for, for the Oculus is going to be NVIDIA. Because these are still run. Uh, this is a chip company. Correct, graphics graphics card processor uh, kind of company, but you've got to you've got to continually be computing so much more stuff to make this lifelike through your computer through for whatever system you're doing. Those guys are some of the best in the world at doing that stuff, and this is a, a new opportunity for them to get in front of. I, I cannot encourage uh, listeners enough to if you have the opportunity to try out whether it's an Oculus Rift or or any one of these headsets. Try it out because I'm not a I'm not a video game person really at all. Um, but just the technology is amazing. And what I found interesting, we were when we were out in Seattle last year and got the chance to visit Valve, and they were kind enough to show us around uh, their company and let us test out 
some of their simulations. First of all, I was blown away by some of the graphics that I saw. It was interesting to me that some of them were very much purposefully cartoonish. And it's easy for me to imagine that beyond just the fact that you'll virtual reality will have a number of applications beyond gaming, education, I think, is, is certainly one of them. Uh, but I think that the different platforms lend themselves to that. So you've got things that are a little bit more cartoonish, a little bit more playful. Then you've got others uh, that are so lifelike, uh, so real, uh, they, they can mess with you a little bit. And I, 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 I'm trying to remember, I think it was in the journal earlier this week, I'd seen an article about uh, medical professionals at universities who are now starting to test virtual reality and its effect on the human body, mm-hmm. because it absolutely has an effect. And one of the simulations, I just remember the, the guy saying, okay, when this next simulation comes up, you're going to be underwater, you're going to be standing on the deck of a submerged ship. And I thought, oh, okay, great. And I had a black screen. Then it comes up, and it it was so lifelike that it really did look. Everything looked perfect. It looked like, oh, I'm actually underwater, but of course I'm I'm having no trouble breathing. When the whale came along, <laughs> that's when I started to get nervous. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. It is definitely lifelike. We we've tried on a couple uh, over the years, and. Um, it's getting to the point that you can get vertigo looking down from, yes. the, from an elevation. If, if the whale comes after you underwater, you definitely think that you're there. Well, I said that to the guy afterwards. I said, oh, i got to be honest, the, uh, the, whale, the whale freaked me out. And I had to, even though the whale didn't come at me, it was just sort of looming slightly in the distance. I, I said to him, uh, I actually, while I was staring at this thing, I actually had to say to myself, remember, the whale isn't really there. <laughs> and he just sort of chuckled. He said, yeah, we figured out pretty quickly that, that we were able to get the graphics uh, to such a uh, precise point that um, really the challenge was not to mess with people. Because if we really wanted to freak people out, it wouldn't be a whale. It would be, say, for example, a shark. And it wouldn't be looming off in the distance. It would be charging at you. So, uh, um, uh, before we wrap up, and, and this is in keeping with the technology trends, don't tell me you're really becoming a fan of Bitcoin, are you? Are you really now? Are you on the Bitcoin bandwagon? This and Snapchat are my two research projects for this year. <laughs> I'm really, it's really interesting to see the transaction volume of Bitcoin growing as quickly as it is in year-over-year comparisons. We, um, I just took a look at, at who is now accepting Bitcoin, because you think that nobody is going to be using these things, right? Expedia accepts Bitcoin. For booking flights and 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 uh, hotel rooms, Dell accepts Bitcoin. PayPal, the Sacramento Kings are the first professional sports <laughs> team to accept Bitcoin, and you can even buy a Tesla with Bitcoin now. See, it, I'm I'm just getting comfortable with the idea of taking Snapchat seriously as a business. I don't think I can handle also taking Bitcoin seriously. This is as the well. future, Chris. It is. The crystal ball says that it's, it might be a bigger deal than a lot of people are, are thinking it is. Is it, what is the likely in terms of investing? What is the likeliest scenario for an investor taking advantage of the let's say you're right, the rise of Bitcoin continues unabated for several years. The first publicly traded company related to Bitcoin, what do you think it looks like? Is it an exchange? Is it, uh, is it a producer? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? What, how am I, as an investor, going to be able to benefit from the rise of Bitcoin 
if I think it's going to continue to rise? It's an interesting question. I, I don't think I have the answer for it yet. I will say the benefits of a Bitcoin-type cryptocurrency is that it's faster. You can do transactions in less than 10 minutes, as opposed to clearing you know, through your bank or, or credit card transactions. It doesn't have the transaction fees, the 2.9% you typical from credit cards. doesn't have those. And it's decentralized, and it's safer, so there's no fraud. or It's basically a digital cash that you're trading between between things. So there are exchanges. You could probably make money off of those. Um, I think there's bigger implications for what this means. And like I said, Chris, this is going to have my attention. In tw- <laughs> Maybe a future market foolery, I'll yes. have the stock for you. Well, so you just reminded me, when uh, over the holiday, I w- uh, took my kids to the American History Museum, the Smithsonian, and one of the exhibits there was about money and sort of the the history of money in the United States and and some of the 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 paper money and the coins that they had on display were things I had never seen before just like oh yeah this was currency in the 1800s and and that sort of thing they also had a rather prominent display I might add um, that was a voting booth and you could put a coin in one of two places and and the vote was should we eliminate the penny should we get and there were pros and cons of each and at least on the day i was there the yes eliminate the penny that that jar had <laughs> was far more filled up than the no we got to keep the penny so that wow. i mean i think that's one of those things that certainly the 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 us treasury department continues to look at and um i don't know i think i think bitcoin sort of goes um, hand in hand with the the elimination of physical money. Yeah, definitely something we're keeping an eye on this year. Um, I mentioned David Kretzman is going to be on next week talking about CES, um, but I want to mention one more time uh, our brand new spanking new podcast center on fool.com. Just go to fool.com slash podcast. You can check out all of all five of the Motley Fools podcasts. I'm, I'll actually put the link in the description of, of this episode, so all you have to do is just Click that link, but uh, but check it out when you get a chance. Fool.com slash podcast. Simon Erickson, thanks for being here, man. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.